Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Chapter 1. Last week, Aaron showed us that the journey with Jesus in the wilderness is not just external, but is internal as well. Walking with Jesus through the wilderness, which is what we're exploring using the Gospel of Luke in this season. Walking with Jesus in the wilderness means that you don't just have an exterior life, but you have an interior life. One that's shaped by simple and persistent prayer. That was chapter 11, that was last week. But this morning we're going to rewind to the beginning of Luke's Gospel, the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1, the first four verses. And here's why. Because next week, Hope is beginning our Sunday morning classes on the Apostles' Creed. If you've ever subscribed to a podcast, do you know how it is when every once in a while the producer of that podcast wants to introduce a new show that they're working on? So suddenly in the feed, they've inserted a title episode of something entirely different. You know what I'm talking about? Most of the time we delete it. Sometimes we listen to it. And if we listen to it, sometimes we subscribe. Right? Well, that's our hope this morning. I want us to see this morning's message as a pilot episode of our Sunday morning study on the Apostles' Creed, which is launching next week. Luke chapter 1 is perfect for this. And so I'll read the first four verses. I'll pray and then we'll dig in and see what God has. This is God's word from Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so, Lord, with the words of my mouth, with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning, be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are our rock, you are our gamer. And Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts so that we would not just learn new information, but that we would actually see the beauty and majesty of Jesus and worship Him. That our hearts would, yes, sing by the time this message is over because of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, so a few years ago, I was invited to dinner by some new friends, and they gave me their address. But they also gave me specific directions. I ignored the specific directions, of course, because I have a phone that has GPS and, and, and has Google Maps. And so I punched in the address, and I drove, and then I drove, drove some more, I drove some more. And then it became apparent that I was probably circling their house without ever arriving. See, there was good reason they gave me specific directions to their house, because they moved into a brand new subdivision, and Google Maps hadn't driven their sort of tiny little camera car through their neighborhood yet. Everything was brand new, and so my map, my GPS was accurate, but my map was not. It was unreliable. And this unreliable map made me late, and it made me lost. 
I recently read an article in The Guardian called Death by GPS. Okay. Uh, in it, the author laments our reliance upon GPS maps. Uh, oftentimes, GPS helps us, uh, but if our maps are unreliable, GPS will make us lost or worse, killed. Apparently, uh, the park rangers at the Death Valley National Park call this death by GPS. It's a serious issue. They've experienced fatalities because people follow their GPS down roads and pathways that require local knowledge, and then they get stranded, and they're in that valley, and they sometimes die. Uh, gratefully, the author also shares some funny examples, uh, like the man who almost drove his Beamer over a cliff in England, because he was following GPS, or the woman who drove her car into a lake because her GPS told her that it was a road, there is a picture of a car in the middle of an ocean in Australia. You can look at it online because these tourists saw an island and their GPS said, just drive straight to it. <laughs> the tide was low. Here's the thing. Humans rely on maps. How else can we navigate this world without maps? But think about it. We rely on maps for more than just terrain. We rely on maps for everything in life. How to navigate relationships. How to navigate what's right and wrong. How to navigate suffering. How to navigate guilt. Walk into a bookstore and you will find 3,000 different maps that address these issues. Walk into the self-help section, the religion section. Walk into the philosophy section, the politics section, and you will see maps. That offer a way around this world. Which tells me that we are hungry for a reliable map. Because there are so many on offer. But all these options force a question, which map is most reliable? Eight years ago, Oxford Dictionaries chose post-truth as their word of the year. That was eight years ago. Doesn't that seem like an eternity ago? If that was true eight years ago, post-truth, how much more true is it today? This means that the maps on offer, as they grow, so do our doubts about their reliability. We're wary of bad maps. Maybe we feel lost by bad maps. And I think this is especially true when it comes to religious maps of the world. Even for some of us, Christian maps of the world. So at night we might wonder if Christianity itself is a reliable map of the world. It's interesting, historians teach us that Luke, the author of this gospel and the author of Acts, lived in a somewhat similar culture as we do. See, Luke lived in a pluralistic culture. We forget this, but it was a very pluralistic culture. There were so many maps on offer in Luke's world. Maps of the world. And like us, many in, that, in his world didn't know which map to trust. And it's in this world that Luke gives us this introduction to the gospel. 
His goal, trust the map of Jesus. He spends his life, he says, researching this account of Jesus so that his readers would embrace the reliability of this map over all the other maps. And so in these four verses, we learn two important things about the map of Jesus. We're going to look at them this morning in some detail. The first is that the map of Jesus is news, not advice. I stole this phrase from Timothy Keller uh, because it's just too helpful to ignore. The map of Jesus is good news, not good advice. The map of Jesus is not good advice about how to reach God. It's the good news about how God has reached us. Notice how Luke puts it. We see in verse 1 that first the map of Jesus is about God's accomplishment, not ours. What's it say? Verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have, what? Accomplished. Have been accomplished among us. The map of Jesus, in other words, is not about our accomplishments, but about God's accomplishments. But second, we see the map of Jesus is about God's approach, not ours. Verse 2 says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So Luke here is not giving us advice for living, is he? Luke is simply compiling what eyewitnesses saw with their, their eyes. With their eyeballs. You don't see advice. You don't eyeball advice. You don't witness advice. You witness action. So a 20th century rabbi once described the Old Testament as not so much man's search for God as God's search for man. If that's true of the Old Testament, how much more true that is of the new, Emmanuel. God with us. God seeking the lost through Jesus. Jesus, truly God, comes to us in the incarnation as truly man. Jesus lives among us. Jesus lives for us. Jesus dies for us and among us. Jesus rises for us and among us to erase and remove all that would get in the way of a relationship with God. That's his mission, to pursue us. And so Luke gives testimony to his approach toward us, not our approach towards him. So, first, the map of Jesus is good news, not good advice. And this immediately pits the map of Jesus against all other maps of the world. Because every other map to the world centers humanity. It centers us and our actions and our feelings, which can only produce, I think, two things. A crushed ego or a big ego. A big ego if you think you're really good at life and a crushed ego if you know through experience that you're not. That's what happens when your map of the world is self-centered. That's what happens when your map of the world centers humanity. But the map of Jesus is completely opposite because the map of Jesus alone is about God. And it's about His Son, Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit coming to us. Which does more than deflate our ego or, or 
give us a big ego, it actually gives us a secure ego. A secure ego. Because we are not centered on ourselves. We're centered on Jesus. His victory. We're humbled by His love. We're emboldened by His love. And that's security. That's the rest that we all need. And so that's the first thing I think Luke wants us to see right out of the bat about this map of Christianity. This map of Jesus. This map is fundamentally not about you. Amen? It's fundamentally about Jesus. It's about what was accomplished among you. And that can give you rest. That might give you rest this morning. You might be crushed. You might be overwhelmed. Every single day you might be thinking, me, me, like, what do I have to do? What have I done wrong? What must I do? You might be thinking about your past. You might be thinking about your future. And you're just overwhelmed by it all. I want you to hear Luke say, it's not about your accomplishments. It's about what was accomplished for you. Okay? Second thing, though, that Luke wants us to see about the path of Jesus is that it is reliable, not mythical. So if it's good news, not good advice, number two, it's reliable, not mythical. What does Luke say in verse 3? It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Any future parents out there, that is a free name for the taking. I don't know. Anybody who's using it yet? It is a good one. It means God lover. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke wants this man, Theophilus, to have certainty. Have certainty. This word certainty means firm, secure, or reliable. Like a well-built anything. Like a well-built car. It's reliable. It's secure. And Luke wants this man, Theophilus, to have that kind of security about the path of Jesus. Which means three things. Number one, it means we didn't make this up. Look again at verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning, from the very beginning of Jesus' sort of entry, uh, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, they have delivered their eyewitness testimony to us. So this word delivered right there in your Bible is a technical word in Luke's day. In an oral culture, truths had to be carefully delivered from one person to another, one generation to another. When my middle son was born, he had to be transported from Riverside Hospital to Children's Hospital. And when he was born, he was so fragile that there was debate amongst the doctors in the NICU as to whether or not that was the best course of action. Some thought the journey would be too much for him. Others thought the risk was worth it. Well, they decided to deliver him to Nationwide Children's. And I was with him every stinking second of that delivery. I watched them gently load him into the ambulance, I sat in the driver's seat of the ambulance. I didn't drive behind me. As they carefully drove down 315, I was there. So God bless those EMTs because they treated him like he was priceless, which he is. And this is what we should think of when we hear this word delivered. 
This is a careful delivery of something precious, priceless, that happened. And they're not going to let it be wiped away. They're not going to make stuff up. This is a delivery, a careful delivery. It means we didn't make it up. It also means we didn't tweak this either. Luke makes sure that we know that he consulted eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. A better way maybe to say that is stewards of the word. Now, New Testament scholar E.T. Wright taught me that this word itself is like a title, a steward of the word. A steward of the word in those days saw it as their sort of sacred obligation to tell the truth about the facts on the ground. I learned also that in this ancient culture, eyewitness testimony was thought of as way more reliable than written testimony. Which is kind of backwards to how we tend to think, isn't it? But again, this is an oral culture, so in those days, sticks were high about what was transmitted. And if you were a steward of the word or of, of the news events of the day, then it was your job to steward it well. And you know what? People knew when you were tweaking the story. It's kind of like an Uber driver. You ever notice that Uber driving reviews are all like five stars? Why is that? Because if you get like one bad review, no one's going to ride with you. <laughs> Nobody's going to ride with you. The same goes with stewards of the word in those days. If you were a steward of the word and you tweet the news just because you wanted to, guess what? One star review from anybody and you're done. You're done. So what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? Number one, it means you can trust the map. You can know that the path of Jesus is reliable. It's a reliable map. Now maybe this word here, certainty, in uh, our passage uh, makes you bristle. But that's probably because your idea of certainty maybe has more to do with the Enlightenment than it does with the Bible. Let me explain what I mean. There's a difference between a sort of modernist enlightenment certainty and what the Bible describes as certainty. So biblical certainty is relational. Christian philosopher Esther Meek compares biblical certainty to the relationship that you have with your trusty car mechanic. Does anybody have a trusty car mechanic? Or is anybody a trusty car mechanic? <laughs> It takes a long, long time, doesn't it? It takes a long, long time to establish that trust. Uh, when we moved to Columbus, it took forever for us to find the trusty car mechanic. We lost trust in too many other mechanics. Uh, but our current mechanic has built layers and layers and job after job after job of trust. And so we have confidence in them, even a certainty in them. But they will do right. You can have this kind of certainty about the Jesus map. It is reliable. Some of you might be asking, but what about doubt? Is Luke pushing aside the doubt side as a Jesus follower? Not so fast. I think God makes space for doubt in his own word. King David wrote worship songs to express doubt in the assembly of God. Jesus himself doesn't criticize Thomas for his doubt. He comes alongside him. is gentle with him. Which is probably why Jude, his brother, said, 
Have mercy on those who doubt. And his letter in the New Testament. Because he saw his brother Jesus with doubters all the time. Have mercy. So the certainty I think that Luke wants us to have is not at odds with our doubts. But I do think the more time we spend using this map, Luke would want us to see, uh, the more time we use this map to navigate the deep loss, to navigate confusion, to navigate a divorce, a death, an illness, yes, a pandemic, the more we use this map and depend on this map, Luke expects the map to hold up and to prove itself as reliable. You're not going to end up in the middle of a lake with your car, with this map. And you can have your doubts, as I shared recently. It's a common illustration that many folks have used. I love it, though. We don't really need full 100% confidence to get on an airplane. But we do, and it takes us there. Because it's not, it's not ultimately the size of our faith that saves us, that rescues us. That's the object of our faith. Same with our certainty. Jesus is the one we're talking about. His word is true. He can be trusted by even when you don't feel like it. And so, I think that's the first thing, is that we can trust the map. And the second and last thing, I think this, uh, the trustworthiness of the map brings to us is, is this. We can learn the map. We can learn it. We can grow in our knowledge of it. A lot of following Jesus in a community like this is caught. And I think at Hope, as a church, we're really good at this dimension. We come to worship, we gather in a community, we hear the, the, the word proclaimed, and we catch on to the things of the kingdom. Or maybe we go to a home group and we share life and we just catch on to the things of the kingdom. What I think Luke is pressing all of us to do, especially in this kind of cultural moment, is to, yes, keep catching, but also, let's start teaching. What are the contours of this map, this Jesus map? Listen again to what Luke tells Theophilus. He says, I'm doing all this, why? That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been, what? Taught. That word there is <coughs> katakeo. Does that sound familiar? Katakeo. Katakeo. That's how we got the word catechize. That's how we got the word catechism. And so Luke is building on what? Theophilus was taught so that he would grow in his certainty or to grow in his sense of the reliableness of that story. And the same applies to you this morning. A life with Jesus is a life of learning. Because here's the truth. We're all Theophilus. Theophilus was a historical man, I think, some people are like, is he a symbolic stand-in for everybody because his name is God-lover? I think it's most likely he was a, a man who paid for this effort. For Luke to do all this investigating. He was a man who probably was what was called a God-fear in those days. He was a man who was curious about Jesus and was taught some things about the way of Jesus. And then he was hungry for more. And he commissions Luke and he says, teach me more. And that's all of us today, isn't it? We love God like Theophilus. 
We love the ways of God. Some of us may know some things about God and about Jesus, but we ought to, like Theophilus, be hungry right now. What is it that this map offers? What is it about this map of Jesus that I can learn more about? And I want to say for myself and for the leadership of hope, hope is obligated to teach. I mean, my, my whole calling, I think, of this church is teaching elder. That's what my formal title is in this church. And so we want to take this responsibility to teach the map of Jesus seriously. So I, as I said, each Sunday we learn or catch things from the liturgy. We catch things even from the sermon. We catch things from our home group. But we want to dig in a little bit deeper in this season of our church. And so next Sunday we're going to go back to the basics with the Apostles' Creed. We're going to go line by line to this thing. We're going to just say, hey, what is the map of Jesus really? The fundamentals that people across the whole globe and across all time have confessed. This is what it means to be a Christian. And I want to encourage you, maybe a first step to, to apply this text for you would be to just make the room to show up to this. I get a sense that this sort of post-Christian, as some have called it, maybe secular age that philosophers have called it, age that we're swimming in, this water that we're swimming in, is becoming more and more aligned with the life of Luke. Luke lived in a very pluralistic culture too. And he saw the importance of really digging down and saying, okay, what is this map? If it is reliable, what does it say? And what does it teach? Catechism. And so we're going to lean into that uh, in, in the future as a church. Which means hope is going to be constantly teaching the map of Jesus. And we love the idea of starting at the basics too. So we never grow old from those. And not just the externals of the faith, like what we confess, the Apostles' Creed, or other confessions that we confess. Uh, not just those things, not even the things, uh, the externals of our life, like what a life of love to God and others looks like. But even the internals of the faith, like prayer. We want to explore that and teach that. The ancient church called this catechesis. That's a mouthful. Can we say it together? Catechesis. It's a mouthful. It sounds kind of antiquated and maybe nerdy. But I'm a nerd. So there's that. But more importantly, this author, Gordon Smith, he suggests that the church in our secular age should reclaim that ancient word. Catechesis. But more importantly, reclaim the ancient practice. So as I said, maybe a first step is to make time for this class next week. As a, as a leadership, we want to come alongside you as you explore contours of the faith. And you know what? Some of you sitting out there may be exploring what is the map of Jesus, even what is it? We want to be a resource to you. We don't want you to walk away from our community without you receiving some kind of content, some kind of uh, walking with, some kind of teaching like Theophilus received. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while. If that's you, I think it's very likely that we need to drill down and just kind of Reassess what is it that we are following? Who is it that we are following? See, the map of Jesus is news. It's not advice. And it's trustworthy. It's not mythical. And so may hope be a place that you not only encounter the welcome of Jesus, our mission, but grow in your confidence in it. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would make that so. And you would make that so in our midst. 
we love, Lord, you. We love you. And as any relationship where there's love, we want to grow in knowledge of the other. And this kind of I-thou relationship, we want to grow in personal knowledge of you. We want to learn things about you. We want more accurate thoughts about you. We want to learn about what our brothers and sisters across the globe believe about you. We want, to, we want to grow in our confidence. We want to have, yes, a biblical certainty of this map that you call us to trust. So Lord, would we as a church be that in this moment? Could we be the welcome of Jesus in that way? To everyone we encounter. Your map is reliable. It's trustworthy. It's good. It won't get us lost. So we trust you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.